Okay. He'll just come in. He won't know what film he's doing, or which side he's on, and he'll just have to figure it out as he comes. He'll probably in. start talking about Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, I wish he'd been there, Joel, when he was just like, "There's a, there's a new Mortal Kombat." <laughs> <laughs> like, like forty minute. fucking minutes in. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. And I'm Dave. And we're all loved up as we continue our rom-com month. And this week we're putting the 1993 rom-com Sleepless in Seattle on trial. Is it the Empire State Building as featured in An Affair to Remember? Or is it the Empire State Building as featured in King Kong? (laughs) No? (laughs) I've never seen that first film, so I couldn't tell you. Well, it's essentially Sleepless in Seattle, but made like 20 years beforehand. (laughs) And better. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, we're going to find out if this will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was The Proposal, which Alex judged, and he deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. Now, he's since gone away and watched the film. Did he make the right call or not, Alex? Unequivocally, yes, I did make the wrong call. uh, Wrong call? Wrong call, yeah. I I really enjoyed The Proposal, guys, right? And maybe, all right, and, you know, there could be reasons that it might be that I was eight days into a 10-day isolation and, <laughs> and hadn't seen anyone for a while. It might have been the fact that I drank an entire bottle of red wine to myself. Or <laughs> it, it might have been that after drinking the red wine, I then went through the, I did that horrible thing, you know, you start going through the drinks cupboard and I found some sort of, I found some yellow lemon liqueur <laughs> and I drank that as well. So it might be that. Uh, but I did enjoy it. So, yeah. So, if I'm, so for anyone who's watching a proposal, what I'd suggest is um, seal yourself away for eight days and get hammered. And then, you might, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll enjoy it. On, on red did, wine uh, and limoncello. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was a limoncello, Dave. It wasn't that classy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a limoncello knockoff. Uh, but, yeah, I did quite enjoy it. And I did, you know, I listened to the episode last week after doing it. And I did find myself agreeing with Gav quite a bit. It is quite, it is bang average. And it's possibly not on the wrong list, but I did quite enjoy it. And, uh, you know, if a rom-com, if I needed to come up with a rom-com suggestion again, I might, I might suggest a proposal. So I might even watch it again. So, uh, so yeah, possibly I, wrong. I feel quite vindicated that I was right, <laughs> but I think maybe it's a case of the boy who cried wolf and I've bullshitted so many times. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Just yeah. remember that, Joel. I mean, you're judging today. So remember that sometimes I'm telling the truth. So <laughs> don't think you've ever told the truth to me once. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Alex. Really appreciate it. Now, on to the trial. All the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So, acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Alex and Dave. Dave is just like Tom Hanks' character, Sam. He's got curly hair. He's charming. He cried at the end of Dirty Dozen. And he dresses like he lives on the water. <laughs> and <laughs> Alice, Alex, Alex, who Alex. the fuck's Alex? <laughs> Alex, wow. <laughs> and Alex is just like Ross Malinger's character, Jonah. He's annoying and he doesn't respect other people's boundaries, <laughs> especially yeah. after he's had a bottle of red wine and some lemon <laughs> You got the text then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, acting as prosecution to try to get this film placed on the shit list will be me. And I'm just like Bill Pullman's character, Walter. I've got many, many things <laughs> medically wrong with me. <laughs> Uh, and uh, if Ozzy pitches up, I suppose, Ozzy will also be joining me on the prosecution. And Ozzy is just like David Hyde Pierce's character, Dennis. His office looks like a vintage store. He always wears a nice suit. And he's easily manipulated into doing things that he may not want to do. Uh, <laughs> just like that time we convinced him to throw a, we convinced him to throw a house party that he didn't want. <laughs> and his place ends up getting trashed. <laughs> well, anyway. So, yeah, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making 
making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think, which means this week, Joel will be playing the most important role as he'll be playing the judge, and he has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. And Joel is just like Meg Ryan's character, Annie. He could easily use his work's database to find out a lot of shit on all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we get started, I think we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So why don't we spin the Wheel of Impressions? I think we've had Coyote like four weeks on the bounce here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and it, there's no way that this syncs up. I think maybe it's the weight of the Freddo holding the arrow down because this week what, it's landed on... Coyote? Uh, well, this week it's landed on Alex, but last week it landed on uh, Joel or Judge or something. So, it was Judge it was last judge, week. Judge, it was judge, it. Judge, me the week before. Yeah, so uh, Alex, Alex, it's up to you, mate. You've got to read out the synopsis in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. So how do we think Alex should read out the synopsis? Uh, you're confident with a Tom Hanks, Alex? Or... Oh, no. no. <laughs> I have no idea. I wouldn't even know where to begin with that one. What, what uh, about a Meg Ryan? Of... Yeah, <laughs> well, I'd, yeah, I could possibly, yeah. Al- alternatively, know. all I can think of is, you know, a fair th- an affair to remember is mentioned a lot in the film. How's your okay. Cary Grant? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you do a Cary Grant? I could do a better one than Tom Hanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, a recently widowed man's... No, shit, that's... <laughs> Hang on. What's Cary Grant? Um... Think Tony Curtis and some like it hot, you know, not bloody yeah. likely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A recently widowed man's son calls a radio talk show in an attempt to find his father a partner. Not uh, bad, not bad. Yeah, yeah. good. You sound like had, Michael Caine doing an impression of, of Cary Grant. <laughs> Thanks. You had the rhythm. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, so Joel, without further hesitation, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Certainly will, so... We'll go to the defense first, as usual. Just a quick, you know, rundown of the plot. What is the film like overall? What's like the the setting? Is it set in Seattle? Is it particularly sleepy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the the exact opposite, actually, Joel. There's, there's no not much sleeping going on. Um, no, it's a, it's a really good one. This one, uh, basic. Just give you a quick little rundown of the plot. Basically, the film starts, which is quite quite sort of surprising for a romantic comedy, which Sleepless in Seattle does not follow a lot of a rom-com rules. It basically starts with a death. So, I mean, it's it, it starts at a funeral, and it's Tom Hanks. Were you Tom happy Hanks. at this funeral? Like you were <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, this, was, this was a sad one, not a happy one for me. Uh, basically, it starts with the, uh, the funeral of Sam Baldwin, who's uh, Tom Hanks' character's wife. And he's there, and he stood with his son Jonah, and his wife Maggie has passed. Uh, later on, Jonah decides to call into a talk radio program to find a new wife for his father. He says his father's not dealing very well with it, and he sort of calls a radio host and, you know, t- t- tries to do it that way. Sam gets online with the radio host and has a talk and has a chat to her uh, to try and talk to his feelings, and it's quite popular. And Meg Ryan, um, Annie, sorry, a character, Annie Reed, uh, she's a reporter. She's in a sort of loveless relationship. She's never quite felt the magic of love, but she thinks she's happy. And she's driving along. She listens to Tom Hanks talking about the death of his wife. And she realizes, wow, this guy's the way he's talking about love is not really the way that she knows it. It's kind of something more than she's ever quite experienced. And she starts becoming a bit more sort of involved in this guy. And she starts becoming a bit more sort of like uh, obsessed by and sort of almost falling in love with what he's talking about in uh, uh, with love. But she's engaged to Bill Pullman, uh, uh, whose character is Walter. Uh, she doesn't know what's going to really happen, but she decides to sort of, she, as a reporter, she starts to investigate the story. She ends up writing him a letter to ask him to meet her on Valentine's Day on the top of the uh, Empire State Building. Things come to a head, you know, sort of rushing past a few little things here. And it ends up where they sort of meet together at the Empire State Building right at the end. She decides to, she's not in love with Walter and she realises that and she tells him. Tom Hanks's sort of thing as he goes through with dates and stuff like that. He's trying to be with women and he's trying to, you know, um, get back in the saddle, but he's just not feeling it. He doesn't feel like he's ever going to feel the magic again. And then he realised that magic does happen. Love does happen at first sight. That's just rude, Gav. Don't. I, I, <laughs> I was just is... afraid Joel wouldn't know what you were talking about. 
<laughs> that is love. <laughs> this is love. When he said um, something special, I knew what it meant. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, but the great thing about this, and this is what I'm saying, this is what this is why this sleepless in Seattle will be remembered forever as a rom-com, and it will, and it really will be, is because the two romantic leads never meet. In that plot, they never meet until right at the end of a film. And it's so surprising. All, all the way through, you're like, right, but when do they actually meet each other? And it's amazing that these two characters, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, have chemistry together. And they have more chemistry together than a lot of other rom-coms. The proposal was fine, right? But like Meg, um, Meg Annie Hanks. and Meg Hanks, <laughs> Annie <laughs> and uh, Sam, the characters have so much more um, chemistry than many, many, many other couples you've seen and yet they never meet literally the last line of the film is annie in the lift and she says nice to meet you sam and it's such a classic line for a for a for a rom-com to end on so i yeah it's it's a very good film this it's very unusual the plot's very good and i think what really makes it unique is that you have this great you want them desperately want them to get together and yet you never see them share the screen until the last I mean, literally, it's the last three minutes of the film. So um, Sleepless in Seattle is just a classic, and it always will be a classic. Okay, thanks for that, Alex. Gav and Ozzy, who's Hello. just pitched up. Your mic's off, Ozzy. First of all, you're Jesus late. Jesus Christ. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so far, I'm so out of practice. <laughs> anyway, I could have missed, missed prosecuting this piece of shit for the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, from, from what Alex was saying there, it does sound like a fairly unique idea, you know, and plot compared to a lot of the modern kind of copy and paste rom-coms that we've got mm. these days. So do you think it works well, or do you think the whole kind of, you know, never seeing each other till the very end is, you know, kind of too much to stretch over a film. Yeah, I, I do agree that it is a very good idea. I, I just think that it's not very well executed. I, I, I would also argue about Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have chemistry. I think it's very hard to have chemistry with a phone or a radio or a letter, because essentially that's the only time they interact with each other until, as Alex said, the final three minutes. Alex also, when he said, oh, I'm skipping past a load of stuff here, what he meant is bullshit and criminal behaviour. Now, <laughs> 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 now like, I'm going to make a statement here. I'd love to see Alex's reaction for this. But I think that Nora Ephron is America's equivalent of Richard Curtis. <laughs> oh, oh. And in no way. is his total fucking nonsense. Like, <laughs> in no way is that a compliment. They both write this, this saccharine, bullshit, overrated rom-coms oh about oh all likeable rich people <laughs> who do ridiculously over-the-top and unbelievable gestures of love, which in the real world would get somebody arrested at best or imprisoned at worst. <laughs> no. um, but obviously, like, I'm, I'm just going in hot, but uh, let me just... <laughs> so, just after having to watch this, after just recently watching Four Wednesdays in the Funeral, I'm all just hepped up. Now, the, the story is already unbelievable. It's a, it's a good idea, but it's I think it, it needs more behind it to get you engaged as an audience. It's it's unbelievable. Lonely Widower is duped into revealing how miserable he is to millions of people on the radio by his son. He's annoyed that the son is on the radio giving away all of his secrets and his address, but he doesn't just hang up the phone. If that was true, you'd be like, okay, bye, hang up. Anyway, I can believe that, you know, like that a lot of people would send him fan mail and become obsessed with him because they think they're in love with him. Case in point, everybody who hung around with Charles Manson. And this is pretty much just the same thing. <laughs> Compared <laughs> cannot believe you're bringing up Charles Manson in a review of Sleepless in Seattle. What the hell is wrong with you? Well, Alex said it best himself before. He, he mentioned that uh, Meg Ryan's character, Annie, is obsessed obsessive and she's obsessive to the extreme but not just like obsessive stalking it's so much more and the thing is is this film tells you that not only is that obsessive stalking to be rewarded but it's seen as some sort of sweet love story instead of what it is which is a crime which is bonkers to me and he uses her workplace which as alex mentioned before is the baltimore sun newspaper she uses their records to track down sam which is a serious breach of data protection laws she then hires a private 
private investigator to spy on Sam. And then she commits fraud by falsely telling her employer that she needs to go on a work trip to Seattle so she could then spy on Sam in person. You know, if this film was gender flipped, this would be seriously problematic. But I'll go into more detail later on about how unlikable the characters are and also about their complete lack of chemistry. But overall, as a romantic story, as a rom-com, and even as a film, I just don't think it works, nor is it very believable. I've seen the trailer where somebody has reimagined this as a horror film or a psychological thriller, and it's frightening just how well it really works. You know, it's supposed to be a rom-com, but not only is it not really funny, romances in it are also incredibly flawed and essentially toxic relationships poorly disguised as love. Okay. Um, Alex, I'm not sure what you're signaling now, but... (laughs) I think you do know. Very small thing. Like, you could say this about, like, so many films. You could say a, a, a family leave their son at home, criminally leave their son at home, and then come home, you know, weeks later without getting in touch with the police or making sure he's okay, and then, you know, they don't go to prison, they don't go to prison, in fact, <laughs> they surely had to, like, fight they off should. potential, like, attackers and assaulters. Sequel, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he should have gone to prison as well. He, he <laughs> attempted you know, murder. They, they everyone should have been punished and gone through the justice system. You know, it's just like, it's a film. Do you know what I mean? It's the way it's done. Yes. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like not only is she unlikable. You're not like walking to a room and Annie's got pictures of Sam Baldwin with like his face scratched out in pictures. <laughs> I mean, and like, you know, like spiderweb. She probably should. She, she probably does, to be honest. But like, the thing is, is that Annie is a very unlikable character. And then she has these incredibly obsessive behaviours. And it's the thing is, is that it's rewarded. The thing is, is that we're shown this as like, oh, this is a really sweet love story, but it's not. We're, we're shown that she's doing these criminal activities, which, as I said before, if you were to do a, a look at it in a different light, if you were to shift the tone, it could be a psychological thriller because it is pretty frightening. Okay, so Dave, like, we've got two completely different sides of the story. Mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit like it's possibly outdated and you know gav raised an interesting point if this was gender you know flipped would it be you know would it cause more outrage than it is doing at the moment but also what what i want to know is about the romance so gav says it's like creepy almost and alex says it's the opposite so do you think it it works well um or do you think that you know in today's society because if somebody like ozzy who hasn't seen it before watches it for the first time you know, do you think you will see the creepy side of it? No, I do think Gav is overselling uh, this, this alleged creepiness. There is an element of, you know, where, where she follows, she goes to uh, Seattle to like kind of, she, she intends to speak to him. She wants to meet him, but she just can't bring herself to do it. And that, you know, watching him from afar and not quite summoning the courage does seem a little bit stalkerish. I see where Gav's coming from, <laughs> but he's overselling that point quite substantially. Dave, I mean, imagine if someone did about... it to you. How would you <laughs> feel? I've seen you in the bushes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we all have. You know, you can reimagine a trailer. I saw a reimagining of the Shining trailer as like a happy family comedy. You know, just all you got to do is put Peter Gabriel Salisbury Hill over the top of it. It's, uh, the tone shifts. It's, it's not hard to do. But no, I think Gav is very much overselling that point. It's not without merit, but he's really gunning for that point. I disagree with something else Gav said, where he said this is a good idea executed poorly. I think it is quite the opposite. I think it's an absurd concept, you know, being able to fall in love with someone just from hearing them speak for a few minutes on a radio. Uh, and then, you know, and, and Tom Hanks, vice versa, has a similar thing. He does see Meg Ryan uh, before they meet at the end. He sees her in the airport and it's like he falls in love with her instantly as well. And it is, it is an absurd concept, but executed incredibly well. It is executed with such charm. And finesse, you know, Nora Ephron had a hand in writing this as well as directing it. And I, she clearly knew what she was doing. She knew what she wanted to show, what she wanted to get out of the cast and the characters. And she, she does that. You know, there's a reason why she's so synonymous with the American rom-com. Because of films like this, you know, this is a, an iconic film in the rom-com canon. And when you think, as Alex said, that your two romantic leads, Sam and Annie, have gone down in history as, as you know, couples most like you know, um, admired couples in in romantic films, and they share about two minutes of the screen together. That shows you how powerful this film is and how well it is done. You know, Gav said there was no chemistry. It's hard to have chemistry with a phone or a radio. Not true. They sell it. Tom Hanks, you know, know, his career is still going well now. You'd only need to tell you that the man is just effed 
effortless and charming. You know, it, it's impossible to, to dislike Tom Hanks. And Meg Ryan, although we don't see as much for now, this reminds you of, you know, just how likable she could be back in the day. You know, there's a reason why films like this got her the label America's Sweetheart. When she's listening to Tom Hanks talk on the radio and, you know, it's all her reaction as she's listening to him and you feel that she is, yeah, she is genuinely falling in love with the voice on the radio and it's her performance that sells it. It's an absurd concept, but the characters are so genuine and so likable and it's directed so well that I think it gets away with it. Um, as I said, I need to, I need to, my, my notes here, I've done stalking, question mark, Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> should I, I, should I not? No, Dave. I'm not, I'm not stalking Rosie O'Donnell. I need Don't to space that, these notes no. out better. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I was overselling the stalking part. You know, she doesn't lie to her employers. It's Rosie O'Donnell, who is a supervisor at the Baltimore Sun, who, who sends the letter off that she'd, she'd written and never intended to send to Sam uh, and kind of encourages her to, to follow him and try and meet this guy you know you you can't stop thinking about him just go speak with him you'll either like him or you won't you know see what happens when you meet um and yeah i think i think gav's overselling the stalking part you know not without merit merit but it's no but in here because i really don't think gav is overselling the stalking part because if you remember quite right you know maybe two years ago gav did almost exactly the same thing in that he had some people on a podcast in America thought, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'd like to sound with those guys. I'm just going to travel over there and use a really, like a sentence fake girlfriend. I don't, she, she had a, a conference in America. Oh, so you're, you're on Gav's side, you know. <laughs> No one's on Gav's side, really, though. It is true, it what is I'm true. Is that that's, be, that's because, you know, it, it's, it is stalkerish. You know, Gav's not allowed back in the US now. <laughs> hey, I can He's go back into the US. California. Yeah, I just can't go back to Sacramento. So, that, that is true. In my appearance on the Dear Daniel podcast is a modern retelling of Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> Sleepless in Sacramento. I think it's, um, I don't think it's aged. Well, that part of the story, to be honest with you, and I think at the time that might have been quite romantic and quite enjoyable, but in this day and age it's not it's really it's just a bit weird like you know that was the only maybe the only way to communicate back then but now there is no reason in i can't fathom all i can't possibly fathom why she would do that and think that that was acceptable and and i think if it was switch on 100 percent yeah i mean if i may if i may we ought to remember this film came out in the early 90s so it was all right know, it's, it's 30 years ago and i'm just saying these days she'd look him up on facebook and it'd be about you know following him on Facebook or Instagram or something, you know, Which send him a friend really request. Bad, it'd be completely different. You've got to remember this. On Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> Joel, Joel, <laughs> this is just nonsense. It's just it's like when she's watching him, she's like masturbating in the bushes <laughs> while they're throwing balls to each other. It's fucking nonsense. It's a nice, this nice little incidental, like bing, 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 bing music. What a film that would have been. Dave just said <laughs> that if you if you play music over anything, you can chase the <laughs> it, of it. It's it's an absolute. You're gonna watch this and just be like, it's not. Not scary at all. It's not. You're not worried. No one's threatened. You're not worried that, <laughs> that Ryan's gonna like, kill anyone's pet or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she takes it a little. You know, but it's not like she's just in a. Okay. She's Meg Ryan and she's in a tiz. And okay, let's, let's move like on from the whole kind of, you know, If I may, just quickly, mental. just to answer your previous question about romance, just quickly. I think it really works. And it's it's hard to do because, like I said, they don't share the screen that much, but there's little bits that drop hints that maybe these two people are meant for each other. You know, Gav mentioned the film An Affair to Remember. That constantly gets referenced throughout the film. It's one of Meg Ryan's favorites. And then Tom Hanks is chatting with a mate of his in, in a cafe, and they mention Cary Grant movies and things like that. And it's, you know, there's little hints throughout that these two people maybe are genuinely supposed to be together. And that's how the romance works. It's hard to do when they don't meet face-to-face too often, but they sell it and it, they make it happen. Okay, so um, Gav, I mean, I know you find it hard to connect in rom-coms when <laughs> there's, no, there's no physical sex on the screen. Like, that, how, how did you personally feel? <laughs> 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 that was my main gripe, is that there wasn't there was enough sex. I can't become emotionally invested if it's not like this. 
full on. <laughs> uh, no, to be honest, my main problem with this film is that it's supposed to be a rom-com and the romance the romances are just so poor i i personally i'll say something that's actually really good about this film that i really like i would have enjoyed this film a hell of a lot more if they would have completely removed the romantic storyline from it and just concentrated on the father-son relationship between sam and jonah because i think that's very sweet and i think the arc that sam goes through as alex said it starts at the beginning at his wife's funeral he's a broken distant widow and then towards the end he becomes this unadulterated and committing committed father which i think is really nice however all of that is spoiled by these bullshit attempts at romance you know there are three key romances in this film and two of them are sub romances um, so that's, that's perfectly normal in in rom-coms sometimes there are third wheels people who get in the way of the couple getting together and they're usually unlikable or at the very least it's plainly obvious that they shouldn't be with one of the central uh, members of the couple now in this case here we have Walter, Annie's fiance. He's the obstacle preventing Annie from getting with Sam. We're supposed to think he's an arse, but in reality, he's this incredibly sweet, caring person. His only faults are that well, <laughs> sorry, both Alex and Dave's hands have shot so up. It's just that you're oh, not supposed shit. to. Yeah, you're not supposed <laughs> to think he's an arse. That's one of the strengths of the film. Is that it, I think it's quite, in a way, quite realistic in this sense. I like the way. A lot in in a lot of rom coms to make it simple, like Four Weddings and a Funeral, they make Henrietta the one he like nearly marries at the end. They make her nuts and a horrible character, so you're not sympathetic towards her. I like the way they don't do that here. So Walter is a sympathetic character, but you understand why she's not in love with him. She, she like and if he was a horrible person, that'd just be an easy way to end, and you wouldn't feel bad for him. I like the way you do feel bad for Walter. We also understand that she shouldn't be with him. The same for Victoria, which is uh, Sam gets with this Victoria while he's sort of dating and getting ready and he's sort of trying to get back in the saddle. And you can see he likes her and you can see that, you know, he's trying to make things work. But then he sees Annie and that's love. And, you know, that's 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 the real love he has. But you don't you feel sorry for these people, but they're not the right people. And no, that's, I, that's what I like about the film. That's the strength for me. I would, I would argue that you need that. I think you need that in a rom-com. If you're going to have a character who, for me, is as unlikable as Annie or doesn't have a lot of great qualities to it, I think you need to have, like, Walter being a bit of a shit. The fact that she seems to be really annoyed or uh, by, you know, him sneezing or by his allergies or the fact that he can't dance, she gets really annoyed by these things and she's like oh, you know bloody walter and you're like walter's a really nice guy you know <laughs> but... she doesn't go fucking walter i know actions the fact that she essentially cheats on walter is there saying fucking walter like annie's one of the central couple she's supposed to be a character that we root for and that we associate with and we want to get with sam she should really do the nice thing and break things off with walter as, she, as soon as she thinks that she's in love with sam but she doesn't she strings him along effectively cheating on him while stalking sam when she does break it off with sam so sorry, with walter it's a this uh, um, expensive dinner on valentine's day which she's essentially coerced walter to arrange in new york so she could be close to the empire state building where she could meet sam and uh, as she's breaking up with him <laughs> she tells him all about sam luckily walter is very supportive of any relationship but in reality he's probably fucking devastated oh yeah and, it is that, that is pretty yeah. hardcore because like they've got a view of the Empire State Building, and then she says, "I'm off, and I'm going to meet the guy on that <laughs> yeah, tower." Yeah. So you imagine Walter just drinking himself into oblivion, <laughs> knowing that it's the woman he loves is like on that building. But yeah, I also think that he's horrendous. he's probably on his way to a rooftop as well, not to meet somebody in a romantic <laughs> gesture. There, but he's about to throw himself off it. But Alex also mentioned Victoria, this character Sam tries to date, and um, she tries really hard to get to know Jonah and makes a big effort with both him and Sam. But she's apparently the worst because she laughs a little too long at Sam's jokes. Once again, you know Sam just treats her a bit shit. But uh, you could argue that those relationships don't matter because in reality, it's all about Sam and Annie. And I've already outlined just how romantic, unromantic, sorry, and borderline criminal. I won't say borderline, it is criminal. <laughs> but it's also very unbelievable. When you take an hour, an hour and 45 minutes of this film, that's essentially how long it is. You look at the times that they interact with each other. That only covers about 20 minutes tops. And only, as Alex said, about three minutes of that is even face-to-face. -face. They don't really know anything about each other. They live on different sides of the country. What do they have in common, apart from being shitty to their partners? You know, as Alex said, 
in four weddings and a funeral, I would give this relationship two weeks at tops. In fact, not even that. I'd give this the elevator ride down from the top of the Empire State Building before they both realised they've made a massive mistake. Okay. There's a lot to chew on here, to be fair, already. Um, so we've gone through the romance. We've gone through the creepy stuff. Um, so the other part of rom-com is obviously comedy. Um, so, Ozzy, did you find this funny at all? You know, at times, I, at times I thought it was all right, funny-wise, you know, and, and you can find humour in almost every film, but that doesn't mean that it's actually funny throughout. I mean, what you read yeah. from a rom-com is it's got to be entertaining and funny, and because you can't really get behind, you know, you can get behind Tom Hanks. He's a lovely guy. He's, he's, he's great, but, you know, in, in almost everything. But you just don't feel... You don't feel the love in this. You don't feel the the premise. It's just a big issue with it. Is it's just very dated. So the humor isn't funny anymore. It's like Friends. There's still a few funny jokes in Friends, but there's a whole host of stuff which just doesn't land anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the same era, you know. It's the same process as that. Humor's changed, and and what was funny then just isn't funny now. And and it might have been fucking hilarious if I'd have watched it in ninety in in like ninety three, but. It just isn't now, you know, it's just mildly. Huh? What you know. once was funny is now a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> You're really, really like trying to sell that one <laughs> all the way to the bank. Don't you? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Alex, what do you think? Like, is it like laugh out loud funny or is it more yeah, like an understated kind of funny? It, it's just got an absolutely cracking script. Like the, the script is just scintillating all the way through and that, and that just keeps you going. It's got some lovely little bits talking about you know especially when it talks about romantic films and you know women's thing you know maybe that maybe Aussie's right in the sense of sometimes women's things did you just say? yeah sorry didn't finish my sentence properly <laughs> maybe it's dated in that sense because it's kind of got this old you know 90s way of looking at it where women get weepy at films and men don't really are in touch with their emotions and stuff and like that you know part of the period let's not let's not judge sleepless in seattle for the you know for this culture that was it was made in um, but no, Tom, ha- I, you know, I'd, I'd agree with what Gav was saying before when he was talking about, I'd say the bits that really stand out for me are the bits with Tom Hanks and his son. Those are the really funny bits. Annie and Meg Ryan and, and Walter, that they, they keep things going. It's all very light. Rosie O'Donnell, that's great, great, great. But Tom Hanks, I find, is, is the real comic. The moments come from him. And especially his interactions with his son. There are some really funny bits, like, where he sort of, he has this kind of, like, you can see that with his sometimes with his son you're a bit like maybe he should not really be saying that to his son but obviously because he's sort of like just a, a you know a single dad he's sort of talking to his son about sex at times or he's talking about this and it's slightly inappropriate but not obviously gav is going to say it's something like you know what i mean like he should have been you know locked up or something like that <laughs> when he's talking to his son about having sex <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, his son's uh... like oh like, I, i've seen in the films that the women always scratch the back during sex and he's like yep <laughs> you know they're, they're, they're nice little comic moments and it's surprising because this is uh, basically a plot that's about grief and that's and that's this is a hard thing for the script to do that those they're dealing with grief from the loss of a mother and the loss of a wife and to get comedy out of that is absolutely genius. And it really Do you is. you compare it to Liam Neeson and the son in Love Actually? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I wish there'd been a bit more death involved in that one. But no, I, 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 uh, I, I honestly did. I think the script saves this. Absolutely. What well, does it need saving? I think it's a great, I, I think it's pretty solid all the way through. But the script just keeps it lively and funny all the way through. It's not like you're going to remember that scene and be like on the floor rolling around. But it's just got that nice romantic comedy, that just snappy dialogue that keeps you going and keeps you uh, keeps you laughing all the way through. Okay, um, Dave, how about you? Do you think it's it's funny, or do you think the comedy is more like a, a light-hearted, you know, a warm feeling? I'd lean towards more light-hearted in general. There are some genuinely funny moments uh, throughout it, but I think it does err more towards the romantic side of romantic comedy, um, and it is just light-hearted. It's such a gentle affable film you know there's no malice to that's why it's so funny hearing gav talk about the illegality of meg ryan's actions <laughs> it, you know that doesn't occur to you at all when you're watching it it's such a gentle affable film that you're just happy to go along with and you know it is a very clever script it's not necessarily the most hysterical script you'll ever read but it's so easy to listen to the characters reciting this dialogue and it's just that it's witty genuine conversation but there are some genuinely funny moments i like the bit with uh, tom hanks and victor garber having a chat after tom hanks's sister 
uh, has told them about an affair to remember and how emotional it is. And they start talking about the Dirty Dozen and how that affected them, how that choked them up at the end of the film. And that was completely improv between uh, Tom Hanks and Victor Garber. They just came up with that scene on the spot. And that's genuinely quite funny. It's, uh, there's, some, there's some good moments in there. But for the most part, you're talking lighthearted, gentle, witty script delivered well. Okay, so Gav, like I imagine, you know, two characters who don't share much screen time together, like the acting may be quite difficult for, you know, some actors to pull off. The direction essentially might be quite difficult to string it all together as well. Do you think that, you know, overall that it's done well? Do you think that the casting choices were were correct? You know, what, what do you think overall of all the casting choices and, you know, how their performances? Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything really to say about the direction. It's okay. Um, I think that it paints a nice picture of both New York and Seattle. I think that it is hamstrung a little bit with the fact that the characters are on different sides of the country. And I think that there isn't a lot of chemistry. I know that Alex and Dave have argued that that's original, the fact that, you know, they don't really interact with each other quite a lot. I think that really harms the film because... There's no real interaction between the two of them, so they can't build up a rapport. I'd, I'd just like to ask Alex, do you think that it, um, Tom Hanks is really hard to, to like in films? you think that he's, he's really likeable no, in I everything think Tom, that he's in? I think Tom Hanks is a teddy bear, right? Oh, okay, and I think, yeah. And I think for roles like this, these, this is exactly what he was made for. Like, I, and I, I also think he's, he's a very skilled actor. And, they, and like this role is deceptively, I was thinking about it, is deceptively difficult because he can't be so funny that you think he's kind of like blasé about the death of his wife, because that's the whole point of his character, is he's got to be quite gutted and upset by it. But you also don't want him so gutted and upset by it that he seems, you know, like he'll never get out of it, and it can come. So he has to tread an extremely fine line, and he does an absolutely amazing job. You don't want, you couldn't have him, his wife's just died, you couldn't have him, like, as a laugh-out-loud, like, you know, cracking jokes here, uh, here, there, and everywhere. And Gav says that the film would have been better if they'd met. Well, that, you know, that, the film wouldn't have happened. It's an entirely different film. The entire point of the film is that they don't meet and they're sleepless in Seattle. It'd be an entire, it's just not sleepless in Seattle. I would have like more interactions between the two of them. I'm not saying that they have not met. The whole thing is that they meet at the end. Meg Ryan sneaks up behind Tom Hanks. Like, kidnaps him. Yeah, kidnaps him and like puts a blindfold so he still doesn't see her. But holds a gun to his head, mate. Yeah, maybe that. That would have been what Gav was envisaging. If she would have like written a declaration of love and pig's blood on the floor outside his house. Like, the... I, I, I'm, I'm going to just uh, like say the direction is very, very good. Like it's, it's very good. I'd say better than you just your average. Um, you know, the cityscapes are fantastic. Both actors, both leads do a really, really good job. And what I was saying about the script, and this is my final real point on the film, is that there's things littered in that show you the chemistry. So at one point early on in the film, Meg Ryan is just listening to him talk and she's peeling an apple with a knife and she's doing it in one long spiral. And it's just something you watch and you're like, oh, that's, you know, it's sort of memorable somehow. I don't know why you don't, you know, you, but you just look at it and you, and then like later on in the film, the sun, this is really affecting moment. And it did affect me. I did actually feel I got hit in my emotions was when he's talking to the boy and the boy's woken up after a nightmare and he's calling for his mom. And Tom Hanks goes in and obviously it's upsetting that he's calling for his mom. And the boy says, I'm starting to forget her. And it's like, wow, that comes out of nowhere. And it's really quite, it's, it's, it's a bit surprising that the film went there, but brave. And then Tom Hanks says to the son, well, and you know, a little thing about your mum is that she used to peel an apple in one long bit. And it's those little points and they're littered throughout, like little Easter eggs almost, but they're littered throughout. And I think subconsciously you start to realize that these two characters are meant to be together. Especially, I think the moment is when Tom Hanks sees Meg Ryan come through the airport and you just, you know, and, he, and he's hit by the thunderbolt and he's in love with her. That's when you realize, and it's it's just shocking. It shows how good the script is, that at the end, they've got this beautiful scene where the boy's gone up to the, to the Empire State Building. Tom Hanks runs after him, you know, and he says this really nice speech where he's going like, you know, I'm looking after us, I'm not screwing up. Like, you know, I'm not doing a bad job. And the son says, I'm sorry. And they go away. And then Mag Ryan comes out of the other elevator as they go into the elevator. And you, you know, you're going like, oh no, they've missed each other. And it's just a really, really beautiful scene that you have where they finally come together and you go, oh, you know, they are right for each other. And it's amazing that you can be so much desperate for these two characters to be together when they've shared zero screen time. You just know, and that's the script and that's these little things that littered all the way through it. 
you just know that these characters are meant to be together and you are made up that they do. So you're essentially saying that like Tom Hanks' character is just effectively trying to replace his wife with a like-for-like replacement. I'd be scared no, for Annie. I don't, I don't, I don't think I said that. He gets back to his house <laughs> and mean, he's got his wife's clothes Gap, laid Gap, out Gap. on the bed. You, you'll, you'll, you'll edit this later, but I don't think at any point did I even imply or suggest that at okay, all. So can, 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 can I just say, that I, I, I would disagree because I, I mentioned before about Annie being quite an unlikable character. Dave argued last week that Sandra Bullock's Margaret in the proposal was unlikable and it meant that the audience found it hard to connect with it. At least her character developed throughout the film. Annie is just not a nice person throughout this, I don't think. And she doesn't develop as a character at all. I've already spoken about how all of this obsessive and unhinged steps she takes to get her man and also how poorly she treats Walter. Even 15 minutes before the film ends, she's breaking his heart and leaving him to go and chase Sam. You know, you can tell, for me, this, the biggest issue with this is that you can tell that Nora Ephron only has a screenplay credit in this and she hasn't written it because whatever criticisms I may have about Nora Ephron and her work, at least she writes good, well-rounded female characters. Annie is just so poor, one-dimensional, and her main character traits are that she's deranged and she's desperate. Uh, th so the, the character yeah. only would be bad enough, but what's made even worse is by... Meg Ryan's truly manic performance. Now, I thought I liked Meg Ryan, but she proper Nicholas Cage's it up here. The acting is so over the top and hammy, it could have been directly lifted from Street Fighter or Super Mario Brothers. And <laughs> I can see Alex just getting redder and redder. But I think in some in some parts he agrees. I am not going to disagree about. I'm not going to disagree about Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks is very very charming in this, and I think although his character has a couple of unlikable moments to it. At least he has redeeming factors and at least he has a good character arc, whereas Annie starts the film off as manic and cruel and ends the exact same way. And because Annie and Sam only spend the briefest of time in the same scene, there is, for me, a complete lack of chemistry, as I've said before. Jonah... Did you, Jeff, did you watch Fatal Attraction and like confuse Meg Ryan for Glenn Close? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I did, to be honest. I genuinely wrote down, I think Gav watched the wrong film. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I think I think Jonah is also quite unlikable. Everybody's unlikable in this film. Jonah is unlikable. He's introduced to the perfectly normal and lovely Victoria, and he is so incredibly rude to her, and he even calls her a hoe. He's also very spoilt as he cock blocks his dad. He was just a about to get his end away <laughs> he runs in <laughs> screaming he does and then he, he tries he does he does and then he tries to convince his dad to go across country on this expensive vacation to meet his stalker who at the time sam quite rightly states is a ridiculous thing to do and then when sam refuses jonah just goes ahead and books the trip for himself anyway traveling to new york bloody macaulay culkin style unaccompanied putting himself in danger just to make a point and f finally the last character who i think is just the worst of them all is jessica who is the most annoying child character i've seen in a film since i of his foul. She <laughs> constantly is staring shit. She's reaffirming Jonah's <laughs> unjustified dislike of Victoria and she's constantly speaking in acronyms and abbreviations which just screams of a middle-aged man trying to write how he thinks a young girl would speak. <laughs> okay, so that's pretty damn in there. Um, we'll go to Dave now. Dave, have you got anything you want to say? Um, you know, any comebacks to Gab's Mississippi mud pie there or <laughs> yeah I mean I've got to talk about he is right I did say last week when we lo looked at the proposal that Sandra Bullock was an un uh, had an unlikable character there but it's we're talking about a character who fires people without remorse who manipulates and uses people who pushes away everyone alive a deliberately unlikable character Meg Ryan's character in this is only unlikable in Gab's mind to the rest of the people watching it, to the rest of the audience, this is charm personified. She is just lovable. She is likable. I reiterate the America's Sweetheart nickname that she got on the backs of films like this. You know, she it just exudes this likability, this relatability, you know, in her work, you know, or in her early work at any rate. And, you know, there's just something so genuine about her, just something so you can like about her. Uh, so I disagree. And this Gav called her like a Nicolas Cage, manic, wide-eyed. It, it, that, that's just not true. That's just not true. This is a very understated performance. You know, it's very, like I say, down to earth. 
And you understand that she appreciates the absurdity of a situation. And Tom Hanks does too. You know, when his, his son keeps pushing him to respond to this letter that they got from Annie, he's like, maybe this is the one. You know, look at the hints in the letter. She mentions like a baseball player that you admire as well. He's like, everyone admires that baseball player. You know, and it's, it's the little things like that that his son's pushing for. And that's why he rejects uh, Tom Hanks' girlfriend later on. It's just like, no, he just doesn't have that same connection with her as he got with this letter and just the letter from, from this woman in Baltimore. Um, and it's just, that works with the characters. You know, Tom Hanks is emotionally closed off, but it's, it's testimony to how likable Tom Hanks is that it's not just a bitter performance. You know, he's not just a man, he's grieving, you know, he's bereaved. And he doesn't just go down that route. He makes it so plausible and so believable that this is a man trying to do the best for his son and just trying to deal with his grief as well and not wanting to move on too fast, but appreciating that he's got to move on. And they both get how absurd it is. It's an absurd premise. You know, the idea of falling in love with someone just from hearing their voice and hearing them talk about love, it is bizarre. But we've throughout rom-com month, and whenever we really do a rom-com, we talk about tropes. We talk about things that just keep cropping up in rom-coms, and it just it's becomes so unoriginal. This, whatever you think of it, is original. You know, you've not seen a film like this before. You've not seen a film like this again because this peaked it. This is, you know, this idea of two people that never meet, only meeting at the end, and then becoming this iconic like romantic couple from cinema how do you do that and it's just like with it with a script this clever that's why it got an oscar nomination for best original screenplay because the script is that clever and it makes you feel for these characters without the meeting and it is wholly original you know there's very few tropes to be found here okay uh, some good points well made there dave compared to the absolute drivel that comes out of gab's mouth <laughs> Okay, so uh, I'll see. I'll let you have the, the finishing oh flourish. Oh, like he was it. on mute, Joel. How dare you? The problem with it is he gets passionate about it, and I think sometimes that makes him easy for you to dismiss his arguments when they're actually incredibly valid. And it's exactly. really just thank you, Ozzy. And, and in this instance, a huge chunk I'm going to say 85% of Cav's arguments on this are completely valid. But I'm not going to tell you which 85%. Oh, I know. Come on, tell, us, <laughs> tell us one of the bits that aren't valid, please. Come on, Ozzy. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the other point about someone's being in faith. There was definitely, there is definitely no nudity. I'm going to go. <laughs> I didn't say there was. I said it would be better if, if actually, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Unless it was Tom Hanks. I don't think that would have made it any better. Yeah. Okay, well, I think Ozzy's just. Blowing the case wide open there with the last, <laughs> with the last, with the last word. So uh, while I uh, deliberate, Alex, have you got your quiz? I do have a quiz. Okay, this one is where we're doing separation. You're like uh, seven degrees of, se of Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah. Right. Seven I'm going to say of Kevin Bacon. Six yeah, you know that. Is it six degrees of Kevin? I can't okay. remember. But it's like a, so you're going to have to do the jumps. So I'm going to okay. name an actor, and you've got to name. So there's a character. There's an actor in Sleepless in Seattle. There's a okay. film. And then you've got to say what film is. So okay. if I was doing an example, if I said Ryan Reynolds from The Proposal to... Uh, no, sorry, if I said Josh Brolin, if we're doing The Proposal, you'd go Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, Josh Brolin. Yeah? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it, okay. So from Sleepless in Seattle, Mark Rylance. Oh, by the way, there might be more than one. So I'm just, instead of using Google, we're just going to use Dave. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would go, I'd take the short route, like Tom Hanks, yeah. Sleepless in Seattle to Bridge of Spies with Mark Rylance. There you go. That is one for Dave. Well done, Dave. Okay. Next one, Will Smith. Can you get from Sleepless, Sleepless in Seattle, in Seattle to, okay. Will Smith. to Will Smith? Um, is this hard, this? Is, 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 yeah, it's Seattle, um, anywhere near uh, Philadelphia. Oh, oh, okay. Will Smith, no. uh, Bill Pullman, Sleepless in Seattle to Independence Day with Will Smith. Hey, well, done, well done, Dave. Dave. Got it. Okay. Uh, next one. Uh, no, I wait. I'll, I've got some really hard ones, but I wait. I wait to the end. Uh, Nick Cage. Okay. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Meg Ryan. City of Angels. Nick Cage. Very good, Gav. Well done. Well done. Well done. Okay, we've done um, three out of eight there. Right. Next one. Bit harder there. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Hard oh, this one. Okay. I can give you a clue though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys might not need a clip, but I need a clip. <laughs> this person who's in Sleepless in Seattle played another famous character from the same city. This person. Oh, uh, is it what? Well, no, hang on. Well, is, is it, talking is, Frasier, aren't we? David, David Hyde Pierce. Pierce. Frasier. Yeah. To Kevin um, Spacey. Uh, what? The links Kevin Spacey and uh, David, David Hyde, Hyde Pierce. Pierce. Yeah. I don't know. All right, I'm going to say that's no ones. In fact, no, I'll give it to Joel. Uh, that <laughs> is A Bug's Life. 
unfortunately. Oh, of course, oh, of course. Well done, Joel. Next one, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, uh, uh, Tom Hanks. Um, catch me if you can, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, well done. That's different to the one I had. I had Victor Garber, Titanic. Ah, uh, nice. So yeah, well done, Gav. I was thinking well Garber done. as well. I was. I knew it would be Garber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's gotta get right. Garber in. I knew it'd be Garber. <laughs> the, the, the next two get quite uh, hard here. Oh. So uh, the next one is Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, um... Joaquin Phoenix. And then... It's an actress from Sleepless in Seattle. She does not appear in it very much, but you like her a lot, Dave. Bam. Is it Francis Conroy? It is. What film links her with Joaquin Phoenix? I don't know. The Master? Nope. No. Oh. It's got the... Oh, uh, the yeah. Joker. Yeah, well done, Gav. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Uh, next one. Last you one. You love Francis Conroy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Me too. Uh, <laughs> right. Next one. It's John Candy. Ooh. Oh, bam. Sleepers of Seattle, Tom Hanks to Splash with John Candy. Ah. Another great way. Not the way I had it, but yeah. Point to Dave. What did you ask? I had uh, Abby Hoffman, who plays the kid who Gav apparently just hated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Choosing Uncle, Uncle Book. Book. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Of John course. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. And this last one, if you can get all the way there, then I will give you the quiz. Can you get to Alien? I've done it in five steps. Can you get to Alien, Alien from Sleepless in Seattle? Um, I'm afraid I'm only going to give you 10 seconds to. Oh, yeah, I can. Go on, Gav. Uh, Rita Wilson was a jingle all the way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who was in the running man with Yaffa Koto, who was in Alien? <laughs> <laughs> Not the way I did it. Very well done. I went Tom Hanks, Green Mile, Sam Rockwell, Galaxy Quest, Sigourney Weaver, Alien. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. Very well done. Good. I think that one goes to, oh, it's a draw with uh, Gavin Dave. So well done Yay. to both of you. We can share the plaudits, with Dave. Well, well I'll done. do that. I'll share. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Alex. Um, so... <laughs> if that is your real name <laughs> uh, so, some pretty interesting points here you know i watched an interview with um seth rogan on like a, a british uh, breakfast show and he was basically talking about how like comedy can age and you know how things can be misconstrued that were funny at the time and that type of thing and that really got me thinking about like certain old films that you'd watch now and how you would react to them first time through if you were watching them now. Um, so there may be like a little bit of that in this film in the way that Gav kind of saw the, the whole kind of stalker side of it. It does kind of sound like Meg Ryan does travel halfway across the country to, you know, come and visit somebody who she has never met, which although you could say it's a romantic gesture, it's also quite quite creepy as well. One thing I do like about it is you know it just wouldn't work these days because of the internet you know you could exchange pictures you could whatsapp you know within 10 minutes of the opening film right yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, while it is unique i do think kind of part of that is just purely down to the time when it was made you know i don't think you could literally make that film anymore <laughs> even if they wanted to but the cast did become kind of iconic from this and what Alex and Dave were saying about some of their feelings and being validated throughout the podcast really where they never really meet. It's all kind of purely based on these conversations that I had through various other ways. You know, that kind of did sell it quite well, I think. And just to be able to put that together, having different people on the screen, but never potentially in the same room together. But in the end, I think I'm convinced enough that it does deserve to go on the, the hit list. But you know, I do think that maybe somebody coming into this first time completely blind may not like it as much as those people who kind of grew up with the film. And I think that's probably the same as a lot of films from back then. But, you know, uh, I'm quite interested to go and watch it again and see how I think. And, you know, maybe I'll watch that horror version that Gav, that Gav suggested <laughs> and see how it compares to the modern classics. So it's going on the hit list anyway. Well done, Joel. Thank you very much. Honest opinions. Uh, I'll go first. I uh, agreed with everything I said. <laughs> no, I, 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 Even I, the wide-eyed Nicolas Cage. <laughs> now, I, now, I, I will say right now, I don't think Meg Ryan was very good in this at all. And I, I, I don't know, because I watched You've Got Mail recently, and I don't think that she was that bad in, in You've Got Mail. I don't think 
You've Got Mail was was a bad film, to be honest. And I was quite up for watching Sleepless in Seattle because I was like, oh, just watch You've Got Mail. I thought that was really good. And I just did not like it. And I think a lot of the things that I was saying, I just didn't think that the romance was very believable. I didn't really like either of their characters. I didn't really think that they had a lot of charisma. And yeah, it, it just felt a bit short for me. I, I don't know if, if other people thought this, but I just thought that, you know, it's a romantic comedy. I didn't like the script that much. I know that Alex said that he really liked it, but yeah, I didn't really like the script that much. I didn't find it that funny. And a, a marker for me is that these days, I absolutely cry at everything. Like, I can't get through a film these days without crying. So much so that I cried when I watched fucking Jumanji 3 the other day. Right? <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I'm beginning to think that I've got a problem. So when I put this on, I was like, oh, God, this is definitely going to be a tearjerker. It, because it started right away with the death of this kid's mom. And I'm like, oh, no, this isn't going to be a good one. And completely dry-eyed. So that, that that was the marker for me. And maybe, maybe that, that has uh, made me be a bit bias towards this film but yeah i i, I can understand what why it is. did you cry on in buliquo uh, <laughs> just uh, all the way through all the way through <laughs> in the open credits <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I can understand why everybody likes it and i can understand why it's so highly regarded but it just wasn't for me ozzy what do you think of the film I've uh, it's been it's been a while since I've seen uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Been with you, and I actually think I saw it in like I don't know, like early two thousands, and I probably thought he was all right by then. To be honest with you, but I have to go and such an Aussie thing to say. Like, so two, ten years ago, I probably thought it was all right. Yeah, I think, it was, I, think I, I genuinely don't know because I didn't have time to watch it, and I just tried to blag it with whatever Gab said. I went up even further. I'm not gonna lie. Sorry, listeners, uh, but. I think I probably wouldn't enjoy it now. I just I, the bits I like, I tried to catch up a little bit and watch a few uh, videos, do a few reading, and it's probably a perfectly fine film. But I just think it's aged, like it looks old. It just, but in a bad way. <laughs> I just didn't think it felt. It didn't feel nostalgic. You know, you can still sit through Friends and even the shit bits. You can still be like, it's quite nostalgic. Whereas Sleepless in Seattle never had that for me, and it just it didn't capture it in any of the clips. So. Yeah. Thanks, Aussie. Um, Alex? Yeah, it's just a solid, absolute solid classic. The idea that it wouldn't be on the hit list is just, like, ridiculous. It's just a solid just like classic. like Event Gav... Horizon and Suspiria. <laughs> Gav, oh my God, don't let's go. Gav was just completely overselling, like, ridiculously overselling the idea that Meg Ryan's some sort of, like, threatening character in this film. It's a, it's a proper classic, and it's, you know... Like Dave, Dave hit the absolute hit the nail on the head when he was talking about it, and he was saying how how often are we doing in rom com when we're just like oh same old same old same old. Well, like Sleepless in Seattle absolutely isn't, and you know when he said it hasn't been done again, why would you? You know this is this is the film where you don't have two characters meet. It's very hard to do, and they pulled like it I off because of WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, exposed, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could set it back in the day. You with letters or something like with that. Yeah. You could set, set it set it older. But no, I, like for me. It's just an absolute. It's no brainer. It's 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 a good watch. I didn't cry, but I did feel things, and you know, it... what things did you? Feel? I, I don't want to go into it, <laughs> <laughs> but I felt them very strongly. So yeah, it's an absolute, absolute, without a doubt, hit list film. And there, Dave. Uh, it's on the right list for me. Um, I agree with Gav that you've got males actually a better film. That that is far superior. This, and. Yeah, there is no real emotion that it elicits from. You're not going to be sat there crying your heart out of this film because it's such a gentle film. It never actually goes for that gut punch. It's not trying to elicit that response. It's just such an easy watch. And I think that's what they were going for. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't want to upset. You know, they're just going for a very easy, gentle, pleasant film to watch. That was what they set out to do. That's what they achieved. I think the performances are solid. Um, I do think Gavo oversold the stalker element, although I did say to Cat when we were watching it, that's going to get brought up. <laughs> we're going to have to counter that. Um, and yeah, we're not going to see a film like this again because the whole premise of the thing is redundant uh, with the way society's moved on and social media. You know, it kind of takes you back to a time where, you know, this, this, this sort of thing could have been feasible. You know, letters and faxes were how you got in touch with people. So I do think because of that, you know, um, people who are unfamiliar with the film watching it now, I think you're right, Joel, uh, it's probably not going to win over many new fans. Because the world in which it's set in is so alien, you know, this, this wouldn't happen anymore. But for those people who do remember it and do remember that time, yeah, there's, there's someone to enjoy here. There's a real nostalgic feeling to it. It's a really pleasant film. Uh, I can't fault it. I don't see how 
anyone could really hate it. The thing is, is that I know what I was saying. I know I was over-egging it a little bit, but I do understand why people would like the film and, and I can see why it's so highly regarded. But, okay, I'm not going to say, is it higher or lower than our last film on trial, which was The Proposal, because I think we all know the answer to that one. <laughs> but is it higher or lower than our previous film on trial, the one before that, Four Wins and a Funeral, which I think it came out. Yeah, something absurd. Like, yeah, they came out around the same time, didn't they? I think they're yeah. both highly regarded across the Atlantic. Now, what did Four Weddings get again? It was something of... Four Weddings got uh, 96 critical and 74 audience. I'd say maybe 74 would be around for both, maybe. I wouldn't say the critics were like bowled over, thought it was perfect, but I'd say it's like a 7 out of 10 film. I don't know. I read some of the critiques of, the, of Sleepless in Seattle, and I remember Roger Ebert saying that although it's absurd, he just couldn't help but enjoy it. It was just... Mm -hmm. Such an affable film. Maybe if, if you can't fault it, if you really can't find the flaws, could it be higher than Four Weddings? Ooh, okay. Uh, well, I'll Should tell be. you now, Alex is pretty much spot on. It's 75 for both. So, uh, yeah, it, it can't do. For some for reason, both. 75 critical and audience. Um, but for, for some reason, people seem to enjoy Four Weddings and a Funeral more than Sleepless in Seattle, which, you know, although I didn't like Four Weddings and a Funeral, I liked Sleepless in Seattle a hell of a what, lot more. I mean, the Conservatives also have a majority gap. So <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's a wrong world we live in. I know, know, I know. But, oh, <laughs> Brexit and Trump and know, Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so thank you very much, guys. It's the next month. Next month? It's not next month, is it? It's next week. It's going to be a continuation of our rom month. I will say continuation. I'll also say culmination because it's the last film that we're doing in the rom-com month and it's going to be 50 first dates. What, what a film to, <laughs> what a to film end. To end you know? <laughs> Do you think it's like a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? You've got the highs of Four Weddings and a Funeral and Sleepless in Seattle and then the <laughs> sort of middles of the proposal and the, maybe the lows of 50 first dates. Anyway, no, I, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be the judge for that. The defence is going to be Alex and Ozzy and the prosecution is going to be Dave and Joel. So just want to say thank you very much, everybody, for putting a, a good shift today, good arguments. Thank you very much. And um, also... Thank you very much, everyone who's listened to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you liked the episode, why not? Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a like, a share, and a subscribe. If you want more Films on Trial content, check out our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. And follow us on all social media, at Film Trials on Twitter and Films on Trial on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. So that is it. Sleepless in Seattle is a hit, and we're going to be deep in those ears next week with 50 First Dates. Goodbye. What we need to do is, is take a step back and think about the morals of 50 First Dates. <laughs> Thank God you're judging. Thank <laughs> fucking God you're judging. <laughs> if Dave wants to win this, all he's going to do is spend half an hour talking about the consent issues with 50 First Dates. <laughs>